Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are watching the 1997 film The Apostle. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? Doing well, thanks, Sam. Barrett, we talked a little bit last week um, as we kind of introduced this film, but it's okay if we if we tread on this same uh, the same ground again. So this movie came out when I was in college, and I remember it was part of Bethel Film Forum, probably when I was a junior or a senior. So that's when I first. Uh, first saw this film. What is your history with this film specifically? Do you remember this coming out? I remember it coming out. Um, I did not see it in the theater. I saw it on probably VHS or DVD a little while afterwards. Um, it came out in the, uh, just to give a little context, it came out in the blockbuster year of Titanic. Um, that was the year Titanic kind of cleaned up at the, at the Oscars. Um, so I remember that year very well. Um, I also have never watched Titanic as an aside, but anyway. really yeah. <laughs> just, just one of those acts of gratuitous snobbery that I've engaged in. So I, just, <laughs> I decided if the hoi poi liked it, it couldn't be any good, which is a terrible attitude. I have to say something about Titanic just because my, I, I watched Titanic in a very, uh, unique situation, which is, um, so this would have been. Yeah, it would have been that. It would have been in the spring of 1998. It was still in theaters. Um, early spring 1998. My family went on a family vacation to Las Vegas for like a family reunion because it were their hotels were cheap there, and it was a good place to 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 get together with people from different parts of the country. But I was a Bethel student. I was also 20 years old, so like I. Um, there was nothing for me to do in Las Vegas, except on the strip, there was a really cheap movie theater that showed first run movies. So that week I watched everything I went. So I saw Titanic. I saw Goodwill hunting. I saw primary colors. So my experience of Las Vegas as a 20 year old was just, I watched a ton of movies. <laughs> That's <a great> memory. <laughs> um, another, another history question, uh, because I think this really plays into, uh, plays into this film. What is your history or experiences with sort of more charismatic churches, Pentecostalism, any of these kind of things? Because this, I will say I bring baggage with me. I brought baggage with me initially to this film, um, because of my, not even history with it, but like my biases about it. So I'm sort of curious coming into this. Uh, this film, what, what is your experience with sort of those expressions of Christianity? Yeah, I, I have kind of a um, kind of a split response to that, Sam, because in terms of a worship experience uh, in the Pentecostal style, uh, it's not something that speaks to me. It's not it's not the way I like to experience worship. And I've actually never been in a Pentecostal or a charismatic church. Um on the other hand, um, as I mentioned last week, I love the soundtrack of this film. And in fact, I, I have a DVD, DVD player in the kitchen and I was cooking the other day and I put on the, the, sound, the soundtrack to The Apostle, which actually has music which isn't in the film, but is inspired by the film. So I have a positive relationship to the gospel music. Um, and then some of the old hymns like Power in the Blood, um, Victory in Jesus, those were hymns that we did sing in uh, my first church, which was a pretty fundamentalist church. Um, and that creates mixed feelings in me uh, because I love the music, but I have some difficult associations with the worship experience. 
Yeah, I will say, and I'm, I'm before I say what I'm about to say, I'm going to say I loved this movie. So this is this is not going to lead to a criticism of this movie, but it's about my baggage coming into it. <clears throat> so before before I watched this, here's the things that I knew. I saw the runtime of the movie. I saw um, anywhere from 217 to 228. And, you know, recently, if I look at the video store movies, like we've been watching things that are like a crisp 90 minutes. And I thought, oh, this is a long, this is going to be a long one. Which excited me because I actually love long movies, but I did have to find two and a half hours in my schedule. So I was nervous about that. Um, And the other things is I remember the movie poster for this. Now, there's a couple different movie posters. One is the sort of baptism scene movie poster. And the other is the one that I remembered from 1997, which is Duvall in like the all white suit, you know, and it's just like, and there's some, yep, waving the money. And there's something about that. I will say growing up, not in, not even in Protestant, in a Protestant church, growing up Catholic, my sense of Protestantism, if I probably, I didn't have that word for it, but was all through the lens of tele-evangelists. Right. That was my, in fact, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I thought of myself as a Catholic and I thought of people like James Baker and Jimmy Swagger. That's what Christians were. And I was like, I don't really like Christians. I didn't think about Catholicism. And I just, those were words that meant different things to me. Um, so I brought a lot of baggage into this just because of even that iconography of the, of the movie, you know, in that, that movie poster. Uh, and I will say, and it's one of the great things about this movie is how throughout the entire film, every frame of this film um, Sonny slash EF, whatever we want to call him, makes me really uncomfortable. Really, really uncomfortable. But <laughs> like, I'm also won over by elements of his story. I think this is such an amazing movie because of that. I mean, even that opening scene where he, they mm-hmm. come along the uh, the car accident and he gets out of the car and it's like <clears throat> intellectually, I know what he's saying and what he's doing. And like, I'm actually deeply moved by that but at the same time, I'm uncomfortable by his, even with a person potentially dying in a car accident, like his, maybe this is me being Midwestern, like his pushiness with Christianity, you know, um, and his pushiness with conversion, even though it's, I, I actually believe from him, it is this very heartfelt thing. He is not a, <clears throat> he doesn't seem to be like somebody who's scamming me <laughs> or scamming that person, but, it, but there's the, the delivery of it from him makes me, I'm always on guard against him throughout this movie. Even before we learn anything about him, my baggage puts me on guard against him. And I think that is really powerful. Yeah. Well, and, and I certainly was affected by the televangelist scandals of the, of the eighties. Um, I, I came to faith in, in 1982. So that was kind of the height of the moral majority movement and Jerry Falwell and those folks. Um, and then, of course, there was the downfall of the televangelists. So I, too, have a, um, a pretty healthy suspicion of those kinds of, uh, of, pre- of preachers. And I think you're right. That, that To me, that's one of the ways in which the film works really well. And that is that um, it's such a warts and all portrait of, of Sonny. Um, and it's, it's not as though, and I know we'll get a little more deeply into this, it's, it's not as though he's a hypocrite. Um, cause he's not, but he is as sincere in his faith as he is committed to his sins. If you can put, if you, if you, can, if you can put it that way. Um, so he's, he's a person that maybe the other way to think about it is he's a, he's a person who's passionate and whatever he's passionate about, he's, pa- he's passionate about, uh, and that includes faith, but it also includes other things as well. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and, and in the reviews that I read of, read of this, um, contemporary reviews of it, <clears throat> a lot of people talk about the fact that that's one of the things that's really revelatory about this is that it's not about a preacher who has fallen from grace. It's not about a preacher who's a crook. It's about <clears throat> a preacher who is, as you say, genuinely believes everything that he's preaching and saying, but at the same time is a human being and is a human being who's um, affected by the fact that he actually does have a degree of power and influence because he is, even though I'm uncomfortable by him, he is deeply charismatic. Mm -hmm. Like, like you're, you're drawn to him. You're drawn to, and you, you're drawn to, I'm drawn to him. Be, I'm repelled by him because of his charisma, but I'm also drawn to him because I see how he affects the people around him. You know, and, and he affects the people around him in some, some of them in some really positive ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about the, um, <clears throat> I forget the name of the guy who drives Sonny around uh, at, at the beginning. It's John or Joe. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, like that guy, what I love is you don't get much of that guy. That guy is fiercely loyal to, um, to Sonny, but he's not loyal in the way that like, uh, like a uh, Luca Brazzi is loyal to Don Corleone. Well, uh, but, but he's loyal to him because he changed his life. He right. saved him, you know, like, like, and, and, and there, there's definitely this impression that you get that like this guy was living a pretty rough life um, and all and Sonny led him somewhere better. Right. And it's like, you see that and say like, okay, well that's real. Right. And you see the, the way he affects this town. It reminds me a little bit of uh in his autobiography, Ben Franklin talks about George Whitfield and like Franklin is not enamored with George Whitfield, but he can't help but say, man, when Whitfield comes to town, like people get better, like they, <laughs> they start to act better. They start to do any. So he's like, he wants to disagree with what Whitfield stands for to a certain degree, but at the same time is like, but like he makes the people of Philadelphia better when he comes to town. So I, 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 I find that interplay really interesting. Yeah, I think it's Joe. I think Joe is the character you're talking about. Um, and yeah, I remember watching for signs of, well, maybe now that Sonny is gone and he's under pressure, maybe Joe's going to kind of revert. But it, it, I, I think in one of the phone calls, he's very clearly shown drinking a glass of water. Like mm -hmm. that's, you know, so he really, yeah, you're right. His life really has been changed. And, you know, there is that principle, right? By your fruit, you shall know them. And uh, Sonny produces genuine fruit um one of the scenes i love in, in terms of the impact he has on the town is when he and the others in the church are leaving the thanksgiving baskets on people's mm -hmm. steps so, i mean he his his vision of it, which is also to me very interesting and significant and in that his vision of the gospel includes what we might call social justice that you know one one of one of the difficulties i had with my early church experience was that there was no concern for people's well-being beyond are their souls saved or not and you know as opposed to thinking about caring for the whole person and i see that in sunny in in uh in, in the congregation not only the fact that it's a racially mixed congregation but the fact that he actually cares about people's um physical social well-being yeah i mean uh, another verse that comes to mind as i was thinking about this and this ties into a movie we watched earlier um 
And it, this, it was at the end of, uh, it's, it's the verse that, that Scorsese puts at the end of Raging Bull. You could so easily put it at the end of this, except it would be too on the nose. Or in Raging <laughs> Bull, it like makes you think. And in this, it would be too on the nose. But it's from John 9. Uh, Whether or not he's a sinner, I do not know. All I know is this, I once was blind, I once was blind and now I see. And it's like, I thought of that when I was thinking about a number of the, the like, what is, as Sonny's getting carted away in the police car at the end, I was like, yeah, but look at the people here too, you know, it, 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 it makes you think about those things. I, I, I really love that. The other thing that I thought about a lot with this, um, <clears throat> you talked about the soundtrack of this movie and the, the role that music plays. But I would say also that this film has some similarities to uh, musicals or musical biopics, whether they're fictional or, or you know, uh, or you know, a, a real a, a biopic of a real person. Is that this is a movie that is full of performance scenes, not necessarily musical. It has musical performance scenes, but like the preaching scenes, it's like well, I mean. Duval knows how to be a uh, knows how to be a charismatic preacher. Like it's like it's amazing, you know. And you see them in short scenes, and then at the end, I wish I had clocked how long that last church service is, yeah. because it feels like the movie's coming to a head, and then it's like settle in. We're gonna do a whole tent revival, like right now, and we're gonna do the whole thing. And it's kind of gutsy as a filmmaker to say you've been you've been sitting here for two hours, and before we get to the end, which you kind of know is coming. Uh, let me give you this. And I thought that I thought that it was like an action set piece or a or the biggest musical number you'll see in singing in the rain. It was it felt like that, except instead of it being music or dance or explosions, it is church. And I loved it. And I and I and I, and I love the way he ratchets up the tension, right? Because you've got the officer standing at the door and you've got the police cars arriving and it's like what's you know what's going to happen and it's kind of like you know as you said sam a lot of the films we watch are like i'm afraid something bad is going to happen and you know and watch that whole scene and i'm afraid something's bad going to happen the cop's going to move in and grab him or he he's going to get violent or or they're going to come in with guns and and none of that happens um but it, it so, so i think it kind of it, it grabs your attention emotionally at kind of two different levels, right? The the actual preach, what's going on with his relationship with the congregation, and then the threat of uh, of, of force outside. Well, it also speaks to I think something really. Even we talked about, uh, and I don't know whether to call him EF or Sonny. I, I guess he's EF at this point, so I'll call him EF. Like like how genuine is his focus on the gospel, and. I mean, it really is a way, you know, people talk about like, what would you do if you knew this was your last day on earth? And there's a degree to which for Sonny, like, or for EF, this is kind of his last day on earth because uh, there's a murder at the other end of this that he knows what he did. Right. And he, and, and he knows that they know. So it's sort of like, as that officer is standing there, it's almost like that is, uh, that's like the grim reaper standing there saying, you know, when this is over, this is like, this is your last thing you're going to get to do. And what Sonny would choose to do. And there's lots of things he could choose to do at that moment. But what he chooses to do is do what he's always done, which is to, you know, preach salvation and 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 run this revival. Like it's it's really it's it's it's, it's such an interesting snapshot of this person, you know. Well, it's it's funny. That, that, yeah, that's a good point, Steve, because at one point he says to the to the the black preacher, he says, you know, I know how to set up a church, I know how to run a church. 
And it's like, you know, that could sound so um, smarmy. I mean, that could sound like so formulaic, but it, but he really means it. And he really means he, could, he, he knows how to pour him, himself into the church at the same time. One of the, the interesting things uh, about this movie is uh, this as a Robert Duvall passion project. Yes. So, I mean, it took him, it sounds like really from tender mercies on, he was trying to make this movie the, yeah. I mean, that in, in terms of writing it, trying to sell this idea to people um, and was, you know, even people who were supportive of Duvall, who's like, yeah, we want to make a movie with you when he would bring this to them, they would pass on it. Um, <clears throat> so I think it's interesting as a passion project, um, but it also made me wonder about why would this be Robert Duvall's passion project? Like, like, it's like, like I did a little bit of reading on him because I was curious, like, kind of where's he at religiously? Because this is a this is a very interesting movie to say, like, this is the if I could make something, this is the thing I want to make, and this is the thing I'm going to just keep grinding away at to to see if to to try to get it made. Um, and it doesn't. He doesn't appear to be. Uh, uh, he he so sounds like he grew up in the Christian Science Church, from what I can tell. Um, I don't know a lot about that. Um, uh, he's not a he doesn't seem to be sort of practicing religiously and or anything like that from the stuff that I could um, that I could read. But um, what do you think about this as a as Duvall's chosen passion project? What does this say about him, especially in light of some other things that he made, like Tender Mercies, things like that? Well, I think I think one of the things it says about Duval is that, um, it, and it reflects his work as an actor, and that is that he's intensely interested in entering the lives of other people. Um, and you know, we talked last time about sort of the different characters that he's played. Uh, he's played you know quite a range of, of of characters, and it seems as though he's very interested and able to kind of inhabit those other skins. But there's something obviously about those the folks with religious passion that just draws him um you know and you're right you see it first in tender mercies and you see it here we talked last time about how much research he did in tender mercies uh he did the same kind of research here and for whatever reason and you're right there doesn't seem to be any evidence that deval is himself um personally very religious you know, I, I did try to track down some stuff on it, some some information about that, and I didn't get much farther than you did. He's brought up in the Christian Science. That was his mom. I think his dad was a Baptist, um, but he just, for whatever reason, is drawn to these particular expressions of, of of faith. He has said that he's not interested in movies with a message necessarily, which is interesting to think about. But I think he is interested in being able to show genuinely people whose people's lives as they actually are so in this film for example the congregation are actual worshipers they're you know so in kind of the spirit of, of uh neorealism right these are just real folks and interestingly enough the first film that this is the third film duval directed uh and the first film he directed was actually a documentary um in, in 1977 called we're not the jet set which was about a family uh, a rodeo family so i just think he has this and he has this interest in people whose lives are not the lives that are normally depicted by Hollywood for whatever reason. And what I love about this performance, I mean, you talk about, uh, and I've often heard people refer to Duval as this actor with great range. And I guess <clears throat> it makes sense. You wouldn't understand that. I wouldn't understand that until I see him in more things. Cause I look, it's so interesting 
that we watched Tender Mercies and then this back to back because they are two characters who seem deeply rooted in a part of the country who seem deeply rooted in particular subcultures but the characters are so like Max Sledge and the Apostle EF just couldn't be more different people even to the extent of like what makes Max Sledge who he is is he's it there's just this kind of silence to him and then EF is so verbal like everything is like he, he's both verbal and physical in a different kind of way I mean I think about and this is part of what makes me uncomfortable like I think about his uh, let's call them courtship scenes where yes. it, it's it, it's so ag- it's so verbally aggressive not in like a violent way but it's just like like I just want him to relax and I want him to like it just feels like he's leaning in when he's having a conversation with you and it's like he nails that stuff to the I mean the fact that I don't really want to spend time with the Apostle EF but I'm drawn to his charisma is so per- I mean he's not like I think I could imagine like spending an afternoon with Max Sledge. I don't think we would talk about much, but like, it would be fine. You know, like, like we, I think that would be kind of interesting and we probably wouldn't talk about much, but you'd kind of stare off into the distance and whatever. But like, I don't want to spend any time with, with, uh, with, with EF. And it's, and that's so great. I, I, like, I, I feel like I get what people have said about Duvall. I mean, I would say if you had asked me a couple years ago, I'd be like, well, he's, he's, uh, he's Tom from the, um, uh, from the Godfather, and I love Tom. Tom's my favorite character in the Godfather. But it's like, but he's that, and he's Kilgore, and he's Max Sledge, and he's the Apostle EF, and he's the character from Get Low, and he's all these other like I, I. It makes me want to like explore more starring roles from uh, from Duvall. Um, let's get into some of the scenes because I th- this movie has a lot of uh, a lot of scenes, and I think it's interesting. You talked about. Um, uh, him making a documentary because the other things that a lot of the uh, reviews talked about was how much this f- is clearly not a documentary, but it has documentary elements to it. It sometimes feels like that. And part of that, I think, is the runtime, too, that it it's not a movie that's in a hurry to get somewhere necessarily. Yeah. Like things are happening and you're not sure, like, am I supposed to be getting something out of this or is this just what's happening um so so i i definitely picked up on that and like that um so uh scenes that i found really interesting um i'm gonna wait on the baseball field scene because i want to talk about that because that seems like a really important scene at the beginning of the movie um and that might be the one where uh I don't know how much we want to talk about if things seem realistic or not reactions seem realistic or not maybe let's just talk about it um, okay. so, so the scene where he, um, where he attacks, uh, his, his wife's, um, his wife's boyfriend, um, Horace, uh, it's not unbelievable to me, but it, but, but it is like, it, it's deeply unexpected. I mean, exactly what he does. I knew that this was going to be a movie where he had some sort of dark thing that was chasing him, but like that one really surprised me. What was your feeling when you're, when you're watching that scene and kind of the result of that scene? Um, well, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting how he leads up to the scene, right? Because it's, you first have the, the previous uh, scene when he goes to the house, uh, when he knows that she's with Horace and he's got the gun. And, and then he puts the gun on the dashboard and says, thou shalt not kill. 
and and throws interestingly enough he throws the baseball through the window so i th i think there is a nice so it's not entirely unexpected and i think there is that lead up so you know that he's kind of on this slow boil um you know that he's a little he's a little liquored up um and i and i and i and i like the way the scene proceeds by stages i'm not i don't think he goes on that field with that plant right i think i i, I think that the violent outburst kind of takes him by surprise in the same way that it takes the audience by, by by surprise and so by the time it happens it seems um inevitable i guess the way i i, I would put it um i'm a little surprised if you want to talk about verisimilitude i'm a little surprised that he gets to walk off the field but i guess part of what i'm thinking sam is but this is so unexpected for the people around so out of character for him and their first impulse is to go pray over horace of course mm -hmm. so i guess i kind of so i i kind of buy it as far as that's concerned well and i will say the the thing that i that i do did like about it in retrospect is that it's not the only scene we have of ef being violent right um because we have the we have the two billy bob thornton scenes um so the first one where it's at night and he comes in and is just what's funny is it's like the questions he's initially asking aren't even i mean he's just asking like what does ef stand for and it's like it's like what i found interesting about this is that he doesn't need to say it but it's very clear that um sunny who's done these types of things his whole life he knows what it looks like when somebody hostile walks into the church because because that character doesn't say anything at first that is like in opposition to what's going on here at least to my memory i think his first question he's just sort of asking about who he's interrupting um mm -hmm. but it's like i find i found it really interesting it's like sunny no he's like he's been down this path before people who walk in and he can maybe read his body language or you know, uh, Sonny, if I'm, if I'm thinking about this through the eyes of Sonny, I presume Sonny, if he, if he can imagine people being sort of slain in the Holy spirit, he can also see somebody who's, um, possessed by something else. Right. And maybe he recognizes that. And I love that he does that, that nothing is said about this, but it's like, Sonny gets what's happening there to some kind of degree. Um, but then it goes to this scene outside where, where they, they have like a physical fight. And I will say that also was unexpected to me but because i saw the the sort of violence earlier i was like well, this guy's capable of a lot of things um so it's like maybe 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 that makes sense but then that leads us to the picnic scene which um i actually i just found deeply moving uh in a kind of way still i still felt uncomfortable the entire time and even uncomfortable with with ef but but like but that was a deeply deeply moving scene where when when he gets off of when billy bob gets off of the uh the whatever piece yeah whatever piece of equipment that is the bulldozer um like we know what happened last time they met and like the it, it does such a great job of creating a kind of tension and then we see the way that 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 plays out i i, I just i don't i thought that scene was really really fascinating but one of the one of the thing I, things I like about those two scenes together, and by the way, Duval had been with uh, with Sling, in Sling Blade with Billy Bob uh, the year before. Um, well, first of all, I love the ironic commentary that as they're fighting to the music of "There's Power in the Blood," um, and 
And then EF comes back in and says, I'm not like other preachers. I just, <laughs> there's a kind of wry humor that in that scene, you know, like, yeah, this is, this is kind of a different sort of pastor than we've had before, I see. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, when you think about the, the racism that Billy Bob Thornton represents and you think about the congregation, I mean, to have a pastor willing to literally fight for you, you mm -hmm. know, that would be pretty powerful. I will tell you that the scene, the picnic scene made me uncomfortable for one specific historical reason. And that is, I had, I had a, I, I, I mean, I, 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 I saw the scene very differently this time than I did the first time I saw the film. And that's because since the film came out and now we've had the, the, the killings by Dylan Roof. And one of the things that I find, as I'm sure most people do, most disturbing about the Dylan Roof story is that he sat in that congregation for an hour and then he killed those people. And it made me a little uncomfortable in the way that Duval certainly can't be responsible for because it made it harder for me to believe in Billy Bob's conversion as a result. Um, so take it for what it, take it for what it's worth. I, I also think it's interesting that the scene is also narrated by the guy from the radio station. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that seems kind of an interesting commentary on Pentecostalism and performance uh, and acknowledging kind of the performance aspect, but then making it something different, something genuine at the same time. Mm -hmm. I also <clears throat> thought it was interesting and, and I kind of liked the fact that uh, you never see him, you never see Billy Bob again. It's not mm. like now he's part of the church. It's that mm. it's this moment and maybe EF is using his uh, charisma and powers to diffuse a situation. Mm. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's not about look at him. Just he can transform anyone. It's like maybe it's just in this moment. He's like, I again, because he's he's he has this lifetime of experience of like, I'm going to diffuse this. And maybe he's even recognizing this guy wants a way out right now. How do I create a way out for this? Like, so, so, so we don't know what happens to that character. We don't know is his life transformed or changed. I mean, it is changed because he didn't do a thing that, right. you know, but, but is it, is it changed in other ways? And I like that that remains unresolved that we don't see him in the last scene, you know, at the, at the, at the church service. I, I really so appreciate that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It, but I also think the scene depicts the kind of cultural power of Christianity in the Bible belt, uh, because there's a kind of, so I, I mean, I, there's almost a superstition that's at work there. You know, when he, when he puts the Bible down and of course EF, EF is going to see this in terms of, you know, the power of the Holy spirit. But I also think, yeah, but there's a kind of totemism, totemism uh, that's at work here. And the Bible is a powerful totem. Uh, and I think that's part of why Billy Bob doesn't want to advance. Uh, two other quick scenes I want to talk about, and then I'll, I'll, and then I want to talk about a couple of performances too. Um, uh, I loved, and I should have talked about this earlier, the, the scene after, <clears throat> after he kill or attacks Horace and then, um, goes out of town and there's this clear scene where he literally drives to a crossroads <laughs> and just makes a circle. And it's like, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's a very on the nose you know, but I, I was thinking about Robert Johnson. I was thinking about like, okay, there's a significance that he's stopping at a crossroads, and it's like, where is his life going to lead now? Um, and it's, it, I, I loved that, uh, and it, it could have been 
really clumsy, but instead I thought it was really well done. Yeah, I, I did think of, of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou at that moment, of course. And uh, yeah, and what Duval chooses not to do significantly is he doesn't take you into the car to show him praying or talking to God or whatever. He just keeps that as a crane shot. And I think that, that you're right, that it works really well like that. It also reminded me of um, uh, a scene in Tender Mercies when yeah. uh, when Mac is is driving off and he when he makes that U turn and almost gets into the car accident and we see so Mac is again if we look think about the way that scene looks it's also at a crossroads at an intersection and he makes this and it's a it's a one, maybe one of the most important choices of his life he makes this decision to turn back. Mm -hmm. to, which is eventually going to lead him back home to Rosalie. And here we have, um, here we have Sonny also at this crossroads making a decision, you know, which direction he's going to go both literally in, in the car, but also where does his life go now? Mm -hmm. um, the other scene that I really loved, because uh, I think this is the, it's a nice little button on the end to just say like EF is EF is the, the chain gang scene at the end. Cause it like that doesn't need to be there, but it also does need to be there. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a mid credit sequence and you just see all these guys out working, all these prisoners out working. So, you know, okay, yep. EF is in jail in prison, but what does he do? He's doing the same stuff he's done everywhere else. He went the same, you know, the same sort of preaching and praying that they've got everybody doing. And, uh, I just thought that was great. Well, you know, it's funny you say that, Sam, because I remember that was one of the scenes I remember so clearly from watching the film before. It's interesting. What I remembered about the film was it's like I remembered beginning and end, and I remembered very little of the middle. But I remember as as they're driving him away, I just love the fact he's running his mouth in the police car, right? You have the right to remain silent. He can't remain silent. He's running his mouth, and the credits start rolling. And I said to myself, wait a minute. Have they? What about the last scene? Did they take it out? I, I had no recollection that that last scene had run under the credits. Uh, so that was, that, that was great. Uh, a couple performances that I, that, that I want to uh, point out along because I mean, Duvall is obviously the, the gravitational center of this movie, but uh, John Beasley as Reverend Blackwell um, is really is, I thought he was really amazing. I love, um, I don't really have, I, I don't know enough about acting to like have the right vocabulary to talk about it, but uh, he seemed like such a, uh, I, I love the scene when they're first, when they first meet and he's both skeptical, mm -hmm. but also like he's somebody who's open to the, to the Holy spirit working too. And he's like, well, I love where he's like, I'm going to keep my eye on you and God's going to keep his eye on both of us. And it's just like, it's like, yeah. And you know that, and, and there's this sense of like, uh, what's cool about that scene is that we're so used to seeing EF just talk and talk and talk and like almost overpower somebody with, with what he has to say. Mm -hmm. But it's this moment where EF does that, but then it's like he's silent and we hear Reverend Blackwell talking. And it's like Reverend Blackwell has to talk himself into this too or has to let the spirit work on him. And it's not just a matter of EF, like I'm going to just overpower you the way he does other people. And, and the reverend's uh, logic is is good. He says, "If the Lord's leading you, He'll be leading me." Mm -hmm. You know, a great test of the leading of the Holy Spirit. If we both hear the same message, then I guess it's okay. Uh, other performances, I didn't recognize Walton Goggins for quite a while, uh, and but then when I did, I was so delighted. I, I, I really, I think he's a great actor. I really, I, he has a particular kind of energy. 
Um, and, and I loved at first, he just seemed like this guy who was kind of around. And, and then I realized at the end, it's like, oh, he has this actual, like pretty powerful arc in this movie. He's just not, you just, he's just not at the center of the frame very much. I mean, he's always there. Um, but I, I, I mean, this, it's a movie full of like kind of moving moments, but I thought his, his stuff at the end, you know, and, uh, where he, you know, kind of comes up for the altar call and then he's the one who goes outside to see EF, you know, mm -hmm. and that's where, that's actually where I thought of the, the, the gospel of John part, you know, uh, is he a sinner? I once was blind, I'm, but now I see. Like I, I thought of those words like streaming out of Sam at that moment. It's like because he, he's, he's the one who's really seeing what's happening there. Yeah, and, and the camera, you know, first of all, he's in that really key scene where EF is uh, kind of telling the story of Blackwell, and well, and uh, Sammy is standing outside the window, eavesdropping. And you know, I, I carry baggage about Walton Goggins because of some of the really nasty characters he's played, like in The Hateful Eight, mm -hmm. and I'm, he's Judas in the scene. Uh, he's and, and then all during that last scene, the camera kept coming back to him, and and I kept thinking, what's going through his head? Is he gonna is he gonna jump up and attack EF or denounce him as a hypocrite or is it? And 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 I just love that tension that was built in. Like, is he gonna be Judas or Peter? Uh, can't you know? Can't quite tell. Um, and so he's one of the kind of EF's legacies in a way. Uh, and EF even gives him his Bible, you know, which mm -hmm. is. Uh, and by the way, EF is a guy, this is one thing I don't always associate with Pentecostalism. He, this guy knows his Bible backwards and forwards. I mean, he really is a man of the scriptures. And I, that's why I think that's another reason why he kind of earns my respect. He's led by the Holy Spirit, but he's always got the Bible as well. Well, it's interesting because I think about that. This goes back to Duvall. It's like Duvall wrote this script too. Like, like it, it's, I, I, again, I just, I want to, I would love, there's got to be interviews with Duvall about this movie that I need to go find when this came out. Um, cause I just, I'm just really curious about, about, um, his, his creation of this. And, and, and he pulls out verses. I mean, not that I'm a biblical scholar, but he pulls out verses that I couldn't immediately identify when, when, when he goes down to the car at the beginning and he, he prays over the young man. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in my blood live, I'm like, is that really the Bible? Yeah. It's Ezekiel 16, six. Hmm. It's not a Tarantino thing. He's not making up verses that sound biblical. You know, behold, I sent an angel before thee to bring thee the place I prepared. That's Exodus. Or whithersoever thou leadest, I will follow. I think that's intended to be kind of a version of Ruth, uh, one of the verses in Ruth. I mean, so it's not like he's just going to these easy Sunday school Bible verses. I mean, he really seems to know the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another performance, um, somebody who we've saw, we've seen in previous films, uh, Miranda Richardson from... Yeah. Uh, from the crying game. Uh, I, th I thought that whole arc was, was, was really interesting. I really liked seeing her in, her, her in this movie. Uh, and then uh, Rick dial who plays Elmo, the, uh, the radio station. I don't, I've never seen him. He, I'm sure he's in other things. I've never seen him in other things, but I loved that character. I, like you say, I love the way that he kind of narrates that scene, but also like provides this other, um, the other church for, for, for EF, right? Like, like the radio is this, this thing that he can harness. And I love, I love the scenes of EF working jobs and you realize like, Oh, it's like, he's working, he's working in this restaurant. He's fixing cars. He's doing all these things. So again, he's not doing this to enrich himself. He's in fact, this is, this is, this is the thing he's doing with all the money that he's making, doing everything else that he's doing to pay for the radio time to do those things. And when he quits the restaurant job, it's a very key moral moment, right? 
he sees her with her husband and kids and he thinks i'm not going to be the adulterer i'm mm -hmm. not going to carry that relationship and i think that's a really important and quiet turning point for him uh when he when he realizes that Absolutely. So uh, there are other things I, I think I've gone through most of the things that I wanted to bring up, but other things you want to talk about with this film. And there were just two other scenes I wanted to talk about just quickly. One, one is um, the scene when he wakes up in the middle of the night when he and, uh, and Joe are off at the revival and he wakes up in the middle of the night and says, come on, we got to go. And it suddenly come to him what Farrah Fawcett has been up to. By the way, I like her performance as well. Um, and it's like, is it just because I like the scene because it's both a naturalistic explanation. He finally figured it out because uh, we know he reads people well. Or is it a word from the Lord? You, you, you know, you really can't tell. I kind of love that. The other scene that I, I, I find this scene a little curious, Sam, is when he's sleeping, he's in the tent uh, that um, he's been supplied with. And he's got the picture of the family up on the tent. And he's, he's ripped her face out, but he's put it back in. And then there's this voiceover of this dialogue involving uh, him and her and evidently other members of the church. And so you know, at some point somebody says, once one is nullified, the work of the cross iniquity sets in. My, so I couldn't figure out at first whether that was a dialogue that was going on now or my assumption is that it's filling in the fact that he has, he has been in trouble before. Mm -hmm. and church elders have had to kind of confront him before, which I think helps to explain how she's able to get the church away from him. Because mm -hmm. that seems a little, I mean, the whole thing still does seem kind of underhanded. How could they have had a proper vote when he wasn't there and all that? But I think the implication is that he has strayed and been in trouble trouble before. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and he says as much. I mean, he, you know, yeah, and yeah, and that's one of the things that I that again I always love in 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 any piece of art is when it points to a larger world that's part of it that we see the effects of, but we don't necessarily need to see the causes of. You know, we walk into this story and there's there, there's a lot of ground that has been uh, a lot of ground that's been tread. So I asked you this question last week, um, and I'm going to ask you it again. If Duval has one Oscar, if he could have an Oscar for one role. Uh, tender mercies or this or something else? And I realize it's a silly question, but I know, I know it is a silly question. I love it. Um, well, and, and last week I felt like I couldn't say the apostle because we hadn't watched the apostle yet. <laughs> but I I, 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 I don't know. I think I'd have to say the apostle for, for a lot of the reasons you and I talked about earlier. I think that in, in this performance, he's really inhabiting another skin uh, in a really amazing way. And I think Max Sledge is an interesting character. Um, he's a much more sympathetic character than EF, but I think EF is a, is a more complex character. And I think that Duvall has to give a more complex performance. Uh, he did lose out in the Oscar uh, contest that year to Jack Nicholson, uh, who got it for as good as it gets. Yeah. I mean, I would say I, I was expecting when I looked into his religious background that he grew up in a Pentecostal church and that this was like, this was just, he was just telling a version of like his story. Some like I, I, I it's impossible for me to believe that this is not <laughs> that, that this is acting, you know, that like, it's, it's, it's amazing that this performance, so I, I, I would agree with you as you know, um, and all the things I've seen from him and heard from him, like this is the one that, and I will say this movie had <clears throat> made no impact on me when I watched it as a college junior or senior. And, um, mm -hmm. and 
the further I get from watching this this week, the more it's just kind of working on my head. The more I keep thinking about this movie, this one, this one's going to stay with me, which leads me to something else I want to, I want to bring up. So Barrett, this is our 50th movie that we've watched in video store. So actually this episode will come out on March 28th, um, Sunday, March 28th of 2021 on Sunday, March 29th of 2020, we put out our first episode. So this will be our one year anniversary and we put out 51 episodes in a year, which means we only missed one week that never happens. So I, so I want to commend you for your dedication to this. A podcast is always an act of faith, right? You start saying, okay, well, we'll, well, you know, we'll, we'll try this out. And I, if you had told me a year ago that in a year we would have watched 50 movies and like, and I would have seen the list of things that I watched and came to love. Like I would not have believed you. Um, so you're you're changing lives. Your my life is in is uh, is 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 made better by this. My uh, my daughter is now a huge fan of the Criterion Channel. We watched we've watched the entire Apu trilogy from Sadigit Ra. Love it. If you haven't seen the rest of those, you got to go watch them. They're they only get better. It's 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 great. And so she's, we're just excited for whatever the, whatever the next movies are. So because of that, if you go to our website, um, uh, video store podcast.wordpress.com, I have done something. Another thing that we said is silly, which is a lists are silly. I went through and compiled a list of the 50 movies we watched and ranked them by not by quality of the film or anything like that, but by the experience of doing video store, which includes watching the film, researching reading about the film and then the podcast conversation so i have my, i have the movies ranked from uh from one to 50 um on there and i will say if, if if a movie you love is towards the bottom of that like let's say bringing up baby it doesn't mean it's not a good movie it just means you know this is totally subjective but i will say i have the apostle i have the i have get low tender mercies and the apostle all together and when i first made the list a couple days ago i had the apostle lower and i brought it and then i brought it up to the top of the three of those and now i keep thinking like uh, maybe do i want to push it up a little more this movie may, might be a riser for me like i really i really like this um yeah it's 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 definitely something i, I want to go back to and uh and, and think more about so uh, as always thank you thank you thank you for all of this what do you have for us for next week well sam you wanted a long movie I got, a long, I, got a long, I got a long movie for you, um, and I, I'm conscious that the next uh, the next uh, podcast is going to drop on Easter Sunday. Um, so, one of my favorite filmmakers I've referred to in the past is uh, is uh, Andrei Tarkovsky, uh, the great Russian filmmaker. So, <laughs> but his last film is a kind of Andrei Tarkovsky channels uh, Igmar Bergman. Uh, it's called The Sacrifice, um, and uh, it's on it's on Prime. Um, it's one of those things where sometimes when you look for movies on Prime, that uh, Amazon Prime, it gives you a couple options. Be sure to pick the one that shows the burning house. Um, doesn't give too much away, but this and uh, so this is um, Tarkovsky uh, filming in Scandinavia. At this point, he was a he was an exile from Russia, self-exile from from uh, Soviet Union, uh, using uh, Sven Nyqvist, uh, the great cinematographer who worked with Bergman. So um, it's one of my favorite films. Um, Tarkovsky is sort of an early proponent of slow cinema. So if you want long, slow takes, uh, you're going to get those. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's maybe the most accessible way to introduce somebody to Tarkovsky. So that's what we're going to do. Wow. Again, a movie I not only haven't seen, have never heard of, cannot wait. I'm so excited for, uh, 
uh, probably this Sunday, I'll sit down and put the projector up and we'll watch it on the big screen. I'm, I'm very, very excited for this. Barrett, thanks so much for, uh, for recommending the apostle and for having this conversation with me. Um, this one, yeah, man, I, I will say my, also my impression of Robert Duvall is just, is there, what, what's the next Duvall performance I should watch? I, 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 if we're throwing recommendations out, is there another, assume I haven't seen anything else other than the stuff that, you know, I've talked about. Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. And, um, I don't have an immediate answer for you. <laughs> okay. That's all right. That's all right. Well, thank you for recommending this. We will be back. We will be back next week to talk about the sacrifice in the video store.